Amen. Do you have your Bible this morning? Good. Hebrews chapter 13 is where you need to go. Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one, please, from the pew rack there in front of you so we can study along, follow along together as we study God's Word. Two weeks ago, in Hebrews chapter 13, we considered the exhortation, the command to love our brothers, right? We talked about the Greek word there being Philadelphia, that we are called to love those who are from the same womb as we are. Last week, we considered the exhortation, the command to love strangers. It was a different Greek word, philozenia, that we are to love strangers. To translate that word as merely hospitality, I believe, loses some of the intensity of the word. We are not called uh, just to be kind. We are called to love strangers. That's what God's word said last week. We're called to love them, right? Not just people we know, not just people we see often, but even perfect strangers. We talked last week about how the gospel is actually the best and ultimate demonstration of love for strangers. That we were the ones, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we were the ones who were far off. We were the strangers. We were the aliens. We were the exiles. And God came to us. He pursued us. He loved us when we were far away. And he brought us in by the blood of his own son. So we rejoice in the love of strangers that is on display in the gospel. And we respond to that love of strangers in the the gospel by loving strangers around us. We mimic that same kind of grace and love. We open our doors, we open our tables to brothers and sisters that we know so that we deepen our fellowship with them. And I hope some of that happened last Sunday afternoon as you got together in small groups and uh, went about in different places and fellowshiped with one another. We also open our doors and we open our tables to brothers and sisters we don't know maybe missionaries who are traveling through, maybe brothers and sisters that we've never met before, but we care for them and develop lifelong and life-changing relationships in the process. And we also open our doors and we open our tables to perfect strangers. Part of what we talked about just a while ago in the Elijah Fund this month is doing that, taking care of men and women and boys and girls that we have never met. Some of them we may never meet, um, but meeting their needs by the grace of God, by the provision that he has given to us. Um, We also talked about the importance of having a plan, uh, having a plan to exercise love of strangers. Ligon Duncan said, if you don't plan to show hospitality, you will not show hospitality. And so we want to have a plan to be meeting needs around us. This week, we're going to move on to a different command to love, this time for those who are in prison. Now, there is a big part of me, I'll be honest with you, a big part of me that would like to simply read this passage and then spend 30 minutes beating the drum for jail ministry, right? That would be an easy thing to do here in Hebrews chapter 13. It would be fine with you, I believe, if I did that for 30 minutes or so. Trouble is, that's not what this text is about. It would be a misapplication of this text to talk primarily today about jail ministry like we know it here in Saline County. We want to be very careful today, and we want to be very careful every day for that matter, to study the text properly and not always seek to make just the easy application, but always seek to make the right application. And so today, we're going to take our time, we're going to try to understand what's going on here in this text so that we can make a proper and consistent application of what we see in the text. Okay, so let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 13, I'll actually start reading in verse 1, even though we're only going to study verse 3 today. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1, this is what God's word says. Let love of the brethren continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be faithful uh, students today and faithful disciples today. So we pray by your spirit that you will give us a right understanding of your word and also by your spirit that you will give us a right response to your word, a right application of your word, that we would not just be hearers, but that we would also be doers. And we would be doers in the best way, in the right way. We need your help with this. We cannot do this on our, on our own. And we believe that the spirit does this. We believe that the Holy Spirit is all about this kind of thing. And so we ask for his help as we study today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think it's really interesting in verse 3 that the author of Hebrews starts with the word remember here. Because if you remember two weeks ago, he said, let love of the brothers continue. He was talking about love of the brothers and he says, let it continue. One week ago, he was talking about love of strangers and he says, don't forget. Don't forget to love strangers. And here he's telling us to remember the prisoners. And there is an active sense to that idea of remembering. In fact, maybe you saw that a little bit in small group Bible study this morning as you saw God say, I remember, I remember, I know what's going on. I haven't forgotten about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I haven't forgotten about my people. I remember, and I'm going to come down. I'm going to rescue. I'm going to do something. All of these three exhortations at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13 are not disconnected. I think there's a tendency to say, okay, we, we talked about love of brothers. Now let's set that aside. We talked about love of strangers. Now let's set that aside. And now we're going to talk about visiting prisoners, remembering prisoners, and that stands alone. No, no, no. These things don't stand alone. They are all connected. Uh, let us, and then don't forget... And remember, all of this is flowing right together, and we're talking about different groups of people that we are called to love. Notice he says in verse 3, remember the prisoners. I want you to hear me clearly today. There is very little debate among biblical scholars that this is a reference to fellow believers who are in prison because of their identification with Jesus. These are fellow believers who are in prison because of their identification with Jesus. They are people who trust in Jesus. They are people who are following Jesus. And they are people who are inviting others to follow after Jesus. And I believe that for a number of reasons, but mostly because that seems to be the context of this entire sermon letter. All of Hebrews is about a group of people who have come to faith in Jesus, right? They've started following Jesus, they're trusting in Jesus, and life is getting really difficult for them. They are beginning to face different kinds of oppression and persecution. And because of the trouble they are facing for their faith in Jesus, many of them are tempted to turn away from Christianity and go back to Judaism. They're tempted to turn away from Jesus and go back to the priest of the Old Covenant. And the author of Hebrews has written this whole letter to say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus is better. Stick with Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Don't turn away from Jesus. And so to say that these are prisoners who are in prison because of their faith in Jesus is simply, it simply fits the context of this entire letter. And understanding that these prisoners are believers who are in prison because of their identification with Jesus is absolutely crucial to our understanding and our application of 13.3. In the New Testament, 
there's a clear division between believers who are imprisoned or mistreated, as the second part of of verse 3 talks about, for doing the right thing and those who are imprisoned for doing the wrong thing. In the New Testament, there's a distinction between men and women who are in prison for doing the right thing and men and women who are in prison for doing the wrong thing. I want you to see one particular passage, actually two, uh, from the same book in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 20. Look at the difference between being in trouble for doing the right thing and being in trouble for doing the wrong thing. Again, I want you to see that there's a difference in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Servants, be submissive to your masters in all respect. Not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Do you see the difference there? Now, that, that's in the context, specific context of a servant and his master. He basically says, if you do the right thing and the master punishes you, endure it, bear it, and you will be rewarded for this. It's admirable, it's honorable if you do the right thing and you suffer and you endure it. He says, but it's not admirable. It's a whole different story if you are, if you are disobedient and rebellious and your master punishes you for your sin. That's a totally different thing. In other words, there's this divide between people who are in trouble for doing the right thing and people who are in trouble for doing the wrong thing. In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he broadens it a bit. It's no longer in this context of servants and masters. It's just people in general. In fact, it's interesting to me that even in chapter 3, he talks about this divide. So if you don't believe me on this, just consult 1 Peter. Look at chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it is, but is to glorify God in this name. Right? You see the difference here? It's one thing to be in trouble, to be in prison for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a totally different thing to be in trouble for breaking the law. And in the New Testament, there's a clear division between those two things. And this text in Hebrews chapter 13 is all about those who are suffering for doing the right thing. Therefore, we need to make our main applications based on that. If we're going to be faithful to this text, we are going to talk about men and women, boys and girls across the planet who are suffering right now because of their identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going today primarily because that's what this text is about primarily. But I want to say a few things because I think this raises a bunch of questions. So should we do jail ministry? Like like based on Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3, should we do jail ministry? Well, Not based on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. We should do jail ministry based on a lot of other texts in the Bible. 
But we should not use Hebrews chapter 13 as our main justification of doing the ministry that we do across the street here every six weeks. Rather, we do jail ministry because of the great commandment and because of the great commission. Those are the two main motivators for the ministry that we do across the street. The great commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. Those men and women who are locked up over there are our neighbors. In more ways than we could ever imagine, they are our neighbors. And so we need to love them. And one of the ways we can love them is by going over there every six weeks or maybe even more often and sharing love and concern and prayer and sharing the truth of the gospel with them, which is probably our greatest motivation in doing jail ministry at Saline County is the Great Commission, that we are to make disciples of all nations, right? And we are to baptize them and teach them, right? That's what it looks like. And those are the motivations for doing jail ministry or prison chaplaincy or whatever it looks like. It's not Hebrews 13.3 because there's nobody locked up in America today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's not happening around here. It is happening around the planet, and we're going to talk about that aplenty in a little while, but it's simply not happening around here. So should we do jail ministry? Yes but not mainly because of Hebrews 13. We should do jail ministry because of the great commandment and the great commission. That's question number one that I think this text brings up in our hearts. Question number two is, well, what about the brother? What about our Christian brother who gets in trouble for breaking the law? Well, this text doesn't talk about him, right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 is not talking about that guy, but because we're talking about um, remembering prisoners, that's going to come up in our heads, it's going to come up in our hearts, and so I want to give you just quickly, quickly a little bit of instruction about that, but there are lots of other texts we should look at for an exhaustive understanding of that situation, right? Plenty of texts that talk about how we should engage or not engage a brother who is in sin, and all of those texts teach basically the same thing. If he repents, if we've got a brother who sins and is in trouble, if he repents, we welcome him back and we help him walk on the path of faithfulness. We help him walk in repentance. That's the overall picture in the New Testament. If the brother sins, we call him to repentance. And if he repents, we welcome him in and we help him walk in that repentance. If, on the other hand, 